Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're in this series called Better Together because um, it's the truth. When you look at Scripture, you see how throughout Scripture, the body of Christ, those who believe in God, those who follow Christ, they were continually getting together, and there was a continual encouragement for Christians to get together. And I've been sharing throughout this uh, series, and I want to be clear again, that one of my favorite places to be is here with all of you. Now, this wasn't meant to be a capsule that we all come together and we kind of do that, right? Uh, that's when some crazy, weird things start happening when you start creating capsules around, around organizations like that. But we were meant to come together to be a part of the body of Christ that we strengthen, we gather well, so then we can go out and be salt and light to the world that we're in, pouring in that fresh water that the Lord has called us to do. It is so important for us, for us to be together, and that's, that's one of the reasons that we're together. But one of the things that does happen is that when any group of people come together, there's something that happens called conflict. How many of you have ever experienced conflict within your family or in the church or anywhere like that, right? Anytime you get together, there's going to be conflict because you're my brother, you're my sister, but I mean, sibling rivalries have been accounted from the beginning of time, right? The first two brothers got in a pretty bad fight. I mean, so conflict is going to happen. It's going to be there, but we need to recognize it that as we walk through this, that we need to deal with it because the Lord has called us to deal with it. And, and I think that oftentimes we're, we're often confused that we're like, man, why, why does conflict happen in families? Why does conflict happen in church? Aren't these people who love me and they care about me? And oftentimes, you know, I can get along better with a stranger than I can with my own sibling. Have you ever had, have you ever experienced that before? If they're sitting next to you, you don't have to testify. But I think sometimes we're confused by that. But you know, there, there are many reasons for that, and there are psychologists in this room smarter than me, and they can tell you a lot of things, but one of the reasons that I believe that it happens is because, you know, with a stranger I see on the street, I've, really, I've made no commitment to them. And so for them, you know, there's not the commitment that I have. With people in, in family, right, they have to be my brother. They have to be my sister. You have to be my mom and dad. There's this commitment that we've made with each other, and we're around each other to where a lot of times we feel more at ease. Our guard goes down. They're around us all the time. But if I lose my filter at work, would there be consequences for that? Maybe so. <laughs> if I lose my filter with friends that I don't know so well, I'm trying to build it, I tend to be more careful. I tend to be more cautious because there's not that commitment level, right? But at home, I'm like, you guys have to love me. You know, I paid the utility bill, and so I'm going to just say what I want to say. <laughs> That doesn't go well either. But I think sometimes we let our guard drop around those that we care the most. And not only that, it's, it's in those relationships that we're often the most vulnerable because that's where we find healing. And those are the places where we need to be vulnerable, where we need to be able to share our heart and our mind and lay it out and receive it both ways. But as a result, in that process, there's often something called conflict. So as we walk through this today, my goal is to encourage you to do what Jesus did. Jesus has called us. Jesus has commanded us. And he's even said the evidence of our love for God is in how we love our neighbor. Our neighbor at home, our neighbor here, our neighbor in the community. This is where it happens. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be conflict around us. So as we look to God's word today, my goal is that we as the body of Christ, we, 
those of us that we've received Jesus, that we would model a different way of how to handle conflict. Because see, conflict often reveals where there's a rub. And where there's a rub, there's often means there's something off that needs to be perfected. And I would say that some of my relationships, as I've surrendered them to the Lord, and as those things have happened, we've experienced what the Bible talks about, which is that iron sharpening iron. And I am better for it. I am better for it. Stephanie and I will celebrate 30, 30 years of marriage this coming spring. Amen. Have we ever had any conflict? Yep. But as we surrender it to the Lord, I am a better person because of it today. I'm a better dad because of it. I'm a better husband because of it. I'm a better friend. I'm a better pastor. So we need to not run away from conflict. We need to lean into it and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. So can we just pray for that today? Lord, we are in what many have called an age of conflict. We're tribalism, where we've separated, we've, we're no longer even tolerant of each other. We're so, at times, even just hostile towards each other. That's not the way that you've called us to walk as disciples of you. You've called us not to run away from conflict, but to look to you, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the giver of all wisdom. That's why Solomon prayed, give me wisdom. So Lord, give us wisdom today as we look to your word. God, that we wouldn't allow any conflict to tear us apart, but we would allow it to strengthen us, to sharpen us. We would allow it to be a venue that you show up in and that your spirit strengthens us and also removes things that need to be removed and brings in things that we need, all the gifts of your spirit today. So Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Is that your prayer? Let's pray it together. Speak. Your servant is listening. And everyone said together, Amen, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15 says this. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. With who? Everyone. everyone. Even the person who cut me off driving here today, okay? If that's you, I'm sorry. Work at living at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So knowing that we're going to face trouble and seeing how Jesus, he experienced trouble everywhere, even with his, even with his team, his, his core 12 disciples, he had conflict there. And knowing that, he's given us what we need to walk through conflict. And one of the key things that the Lord has given us to walk through conflict is something called peace. He's given us peace. And he's given us peace because we need peace. Now, what is peace? When you look at peace and when you look at the Bible, throughout the Bible, peace comes up over 429 times. And you know in the Bible, there's also there's a lot of conflict, but we see this word peace continually being talked about. Everyone is talking about it. In the Old Testament, there was the word used for peace, which is shalom. Have you heard that before? Shalom, right? What this means, this means a total well-being, means prosperity and security that's associated with God's presence among his people. In the Old Testament, peace was linked with the covenant, which the very presence of peace as God's gift. The peace that we talk about here, it was conditional upon Israel's obedience. And then we come to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's the Greek word arene, and this is, what this means is it's the long-for peace being understood as having come in Christ and, being, and it's able to be experienced by faith. In other words, we know we have peace with God 
through Jesus Christ. Now, over 429 times we see it through a scripture and we see it presented in all these situations. So why do we need peace? Why is peace so important? We need peace because, as I stated earlier, peace is essential in conflict. Peace is essential in conflict, and conflict is normal. Conflict is normal. You know, 1 Peter 4 says this. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. So when you're like, man, why am I going through so much conflict? Why is this going on? Peter's saying, why are you surprised as if something abnormal was happening to you? And then Jesus, he warned his disciples of conflict. He said, he said throughout this, through, through the book of John, he said, the world will hate you because they hated me. He says, you will be kicked out of the synagogue. He said, the time is coming when those who kill you will even think they're doing a holy service for God. This is what Paul thought before he experienced Jesus. He thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians, killing them. And he says, this is because they have never known the Father or me. So as we walk as Christians, and Christian means that we're Christ-like, Peter's saying, don't think it's strange if people hate you or even want to kill you. They killed Jesus. Why? Why should we think of anything different? But as we, as we think into this, we need to, sometimes we think about peace as just, this, as just this kind of weak, this mild, that peace is just I'm kind of off in my corner and I've got my, my AirPods on or whatever kind of headphones you have on and we're just kind of getting quiet and getting alone. And, and peace means that everyone around me just shuts their mouth, right? But you can be in a situation where it's only you and no one around and still not have peace in your heart. Have you ever been all alone and you've been just a total conflict and the only person there is you? So this is not what we're talking about. See, we need to recognize that peace is our shield and our defender. Peace is not absent during the storm. Peace through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life is active during the storm. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is our protector in the middle of it. When we are going through great conflict, that's when we need peace. That's why peace is described as a shield to protect us and help us. That's why it says in Psalms 4, 7, it says to guard your hearts and your mind with peace. Guard your hearts. Guard your heart. That's an active word. It's a protective word. Guard your heart and guard your mind with peace. This, shalom. This is why the first thing that conflict hits is our peace. Have you ever experienced that when you're going through conflict? What's one of the first things that often leaves you? Peace. You're like, I have no peace in my life. Why? Because there's so much conflict around me. Because if our peace can be taken away, we are vulnerable. And I think one of the primary reasons is, is that without peace, when peace is taken away from our lives, our lives become very susceptible to fear. See, a lot of times we think that the opposite of peace is war. Nope, it's not. <laughs> but I love you. The, op <laughs> the opposite of peace is fear. Because, because we can have, I'll, I'll talk to you later, okay? Thanks, Mark. <laughs> the opposite of peace is actually fear in our life. See, when we face conflict, Fear is one of the biggest enemies that we need to face, isn't it? How many, that as you've walked through this COVID season, that you've found your heart just being filled with fear? 
So many fears. First, there was the fear of the disease. Then there was the fear of all the conflict that was happening in our culture. There was the fear of all the political conflict, fear of every, I mean, conflict. One of the things that COVID did, when I think about COVID, I think about this big shaker that just sifted everybody. Every church was sifted. Every organization was sifted. Every person was sifted through this. It was a sifting time. And in that sifter, so many of us fell victim to fear. And see, one of the things is, as we think about fear, fear is one of the biggest enemies that we need to face. Because fear will cause us to do things that we said we would never do. Have you ever had something and you said, you know, I, Lord, I will never do that. That was the promise that Peter made to Jesus. I will never do that. But when fear showed up in Peter's life, he denied Christ three times. He went from standing in front of him, swinging a sword, to running from people because he was so scared. See, fear can cause us to make bad, life-altering decisions. Have you ever made a bad decision because you were just so fearful in your life? You're like, man, if I could have taken that back, you know, I wouldn't be in debt. I wouldn't be in relational trouble. I wouldn't be in whatever that is. I would have stayed this course. I would have done that. But fear causes us to make those life-altering decisions. And one of the, one of the greatest fears that we have in our life is the fear of loss. The fear of loss. You know, I was recently reading this book by an author, um, Todd Balsinger. He wrote this amazing book, Canoeing Through the Mountains. Great book. But he did this follow-up during pandemic that is just as powerful. And he makes this powerful observation. He talks about the power of fear during pandemic and how it affects, affects so many of us. And here's the powerful observation that he made. Balsinger makes this observation that he acknowledges how the pandemic has brought about so much change in our lives. And he says that so many parts of our lives have been changed, but he says in that, people don't resist, because there's been a lot of resistance to the change, and he says people don't resist change per se. He says people resist loss. If There are changes that we welcome. There are changes that we pray for. I mean, how many times you, you, you have things in your life that when you, when you go to the Lord and, and you cast all your cares and your burden, you're saying, God, please change this. Please change this. Please change that person working next to me. Anybody ever prayed that, right? Lord, change this or, or change this person going on or the situation. So there's, we welcome change that we agree with. We welcome change that, that we want that we're in harmony with. But when we perceive this loss in our life, not a net gain, that's when we start resisting change. And that's when fear can come in. See, one of the biggest things that we are afraid of losing is we're afraid of losing relationships. How many of us, and, or you've heard someone close to you, that through this season they've lost relationships? We fear losing more power. We, we fear losing influence. We, we fear losing, uh, losing our job, or we fear we'll ever get a better job that can pay for all these bills that I have. When any of these things, these things that we care about, that we have this fear of loss coming over, a threat to these Fear comes in, and fear is a terrible leader in our life. Fear will destroy us. So many have turned their backs on Christ and the church simply because of fear. You know, we've, there's, a, there's a popular line out there where, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. But that's impossible. Jesus is the head of the church. And I get what people mean. I think there's times in all of our lives, pastors, to the person who shows up just this once, there's times that we've had difficulty with church and we've even prayed, God, Jesus, I love you, but this is a difficult place to be sometimes because of a lot of those things. But we need to recognize that when we love Jesus, that we are loving his body, the church. It's what he paid for. 
That's like someone coming up to me and saying, Pastor Duane, I love you, but I hate your wife. Do you think I'm going to have a problem with that? She's, she's, she's better than me. She's better than me. <laughs> I would say amen too. So. But a lot of times that's how we treat it. That's how we think about it. See, the body of Christ is what Jesus died for. It's what he built. And there's conflict in that. But we need peace in that. We need peace in order to bring healing. We don't just cut something off because it's bothering. We say, what's going on? I need healing in this. How can I get healing? My arm is broken. My elbow is broken. I can start going through the staff because we've all broken stuff. I broke my elbow. Pastor Steve had a leg trauma going on. I mean, most of the parts of our body on the staff have been hurt during this time, haven't it, Pastor Steve? Right? He's doing better. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we need peace. Peace protects us and enables us to resolve conflict. Here's, Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. He said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, we need peace because it's our defender. Peace is the thing that protects us, but peace also brings unity to us. See, when there is peace, and if you've ever sat in a meeting, if you've ever sat where you've had to make these decisions, when peace enters the room, when the Holy Spirit comes in, when the presence of God comes in, and even though there's a lot of fear because there's some big decisions to take place, when you have men and women making those decisions and peace comes in, that's when the mind of Christ is aware to us. Jesus is always there, but we need to guard our hearts so that we're not distracted. Peace enables us to think logically all the things he's given us. There's so many decisions and things that we ask that God's saying, I've told you the answers already. I've written all the answers down. It's all there. You need to do it. But when we're operating in fear, we forget or we're afraid to take those actions because we're afraid of loss. See, peace brings unity. It enables us to think logically. It enables us to hear each other. It enables us to make good decisions. We need good decision makers. But it begins by saying, Lord, guard me with your peace. Guard me with your peace. So how do we practically, I think all of us, who wants peace here today? You probably go, yep, I want peace in my life, my relationships, and everything around me, we want it. So how do we get it? How do we get this peace that guards our heart? Because everything in the God's word is true. How do we get it? When we look at the scripture, we see that we get peace through holiness. The path to peace is holiness, and it's why so many times we struggle with it. We struggle with it. See, holiness and peace are found together. When peace is asked for, the answer is given through a scripture. The answer is holiness. Jesus calls us to holiness. We see this. And then in the writers of the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and Romans 6, we see that holiness marks the presence of God. And the presence of God in our life brings about peace. It doesn't remove conflict. I think sometimes we think, well, when God comes in, it's all done. And that's why people were so confused about Jesus. And even a lot of the Pharisaic leaders, they wanted this conquering king. They, they wanted this military general to come in and to slay their enemies. And he's saying, I want you to pray for your enemies. That's a child of God that needs to be re- reconciled to Christ. He said, Peter, put away your sword. We need that peace that comes through holiness. See, peace is the result of our covenant relationship with God. This covenant, this commitment, that through this, our lives are reconciled and they're transformed by him. You know, Isaiah wrote, the fruit of that righteousness will be peace. 
Paul said in Romans 5, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So what is holiness? What does that look like? Well, I, I love what A.W. Tozer says. You know, A.W. Tozer, he describes it this way. He says, and the quote's going to come up here, holy is the way God is. To be holy, God does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. God is the standard. Holiness is the chief attribute of God and a quality to be developed in his people. The primary Old Testament word that's used for holiness, it means to cut or to separate. Fundamentally, holiness, it's about cutting off or separating from what is unclean and a consecration to what is pure. That's why we see here in John chapter 17, Jesus calls us to be in the world. We're to be active in the world. We're to be salt and light to the world for him. But we're not to be of this world. We're not to conform to the world. We're not to be contaminated by the things of this world. It's holiness. And holiness is only found, it's only the result of a transformation through Jesus Christ. This holiness, this work of God in us, it's a reflection of alignment. Remember, we talked about sin, and I love that definition for sin that says sin is missing the mark when we get out of alignment with God. Holiness is about bringing our lives, everything about us, bringing back into alignment with God. I think that's why so many people are so upset with a false version of Christianity that they'll see us and they'll they'll say, you're nothing like Christ. There's nothing there. They understand struggle, but when they see somebody not even struggling, we went through this big, big period in the church where the church was trying to be so relevant. And I'm all about speaking the language. Jesus spoke parables. He's talking to a fisherman. He talked about fish. Amen, Pastor Steve? He talked to a farmer. He talked about farming analogies. He was talking about when he talks to tax collectors, he talked about money and accounting and all those things. We need to, we need to be able to speak language, but sometimes we're so relevant that we become irrelevant to the world around us because there's nothing different. When I give my life to Christ, it is a sacrifice. It is a counting of the cost. I am not the same. I need to be willing to die to myself, to surrender, to open my hands, and to let go of all things but God so I can receive God. And when we forget that, we're not going to find peace. We're going to be filled with fear. We're going to be frustrated. And the world's going to look at us and say, why should I come to church? There's nothing different about someone following Christ than me. So why do I need that? Why do I need to be a part of that? Jesus has called us to be salt and light, to be mirrors that reflect him. And so oftentimes we've forgotten the sacrifice, the the surrendering to God and saying, God, whatever you have, I lay down my rights. I will pick up my cross. I will count the cost and I will follow you. And when we do that, there's a peace that will enable all the disciples to say, I'm going to go run from running to fear to saying, take my life. May I be honored to die for Jesus Christ. And we've lost that. There's times in my life that I've lost that because I've been so scared. But God, what about this? What about my kids? And God's saying, I've got your kids. Follow me and show them how to follow me. I worry about finances and saying, God, you know, what about this and what about that? He's saying, who's your provider, Dwayne? Do you know how many times God's told me, has asked me the question, like Adam, he asked Adam, where are you? Not because he didn't know where Adam was, but because Adam didn't know where he was. And he's asked me so many times, who's your provider? When we came back to Seattle, we left all the wonderful security that we had in a wonderful place, and we cashed in everything that we had to come out here, and that following the Lord. Okay, I'm not giving you financial advice today. I'm not a financial advisor. I know some that I'll point you to. Go to them. But I'm saying in this situation, God told me to walk in a certain way, and we went through a two-year process of laying that out, and we did it. And I don't say that to say what a hero I am. I'm saying that in that moment, I was filled with fear at that prospect. How many are going, I've been there? (laughs) 
So what was I going through in those two years? I was going through this process of aligning my life with God. And as I went through that process, follower of Christ, pastor on staff of the church, all those things, the Lord began to reveal some things in my life where fear was coming up. And, you know, you say you're surrendered. I was tithing. I was giving to missions, doing all those things, giving special projects, you know, raised $25,000 for water wells in Africa, doing all those things. And God's saying, there's still fear in your life. There's still things that you haven't given up. There's still things that are hidden that you need to reveal. That's the act of holiness, of aligning. Because there's things that he's called us all to, and then there's, things, there's times he steps in our life, just like he did with the rich young ruler. He said, what must I do? He said, sell everything. He hasn't told everybody to sell everything. But he told him because money had held him. He said, he said this has a hold on you. Money's not evil, but the love of money is, right? You hear the difference in that. Again, this is not a financial seminar, okay? Don't mistake it for one. But I'm saying there are times the Lord's going to speak a very specific word for you. And that's when it reveals who owns you. I've known people who are very wealthy, and God spoke that word, and like, yep, it's there. And the Lord keeps blessing them and blessing them and blessing them because they're saying, it's yours. Take it all, Lord. And the Lord begins to move through their life because of obedience. This is what we're talking about. Holiness, that reflection of alignment. But holiness, it requires that commitment to God's process. We're all in process, aren't we? See, there's two key theological words that I want to just very quickly mention today. One is justification and one is sanctification. Justification is what happens in that moment that we surrender our life to God and we say, you are God, (laughs) I surrender my life to you, forgive me of my sin, and we become that fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. In that moment, we are justified, we are made new, Romans 5, 1, 2 says, and we are with Jesus, and we're going to spend eternity with him, we're justified in him, through him, amen. But it doesn't stop there. Now there's a following heart after Jesus. Now there's this part called sanctification. And sanctification, this is that work of holiness that Christ does in our lives as we surrender all to him. Romans 12 calls it a living sacrifice of saying, yes, I want to experience that life to the full. It is giving everything to you. That's why one day Peter was a fisherman, and another day he's us preaching a message, and over 5,000 people give their life to Christ. Right? I'm all for school. I'm all for going. I went to seminary, spent a lot of time in school, spent a lot of time reading. That's all great. With Peter, he went from the fishing net, following Jesus, ups and downs, denied Christ, had all that stuff, and Jesus said, the plan is still in effect if just surrender and follow me. And then Peter gets up, and the world has changed through his life surrender. Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than me. But it's this process, this sanctification of continually surrendering. I mean, this is what athletes do. We, we, we know this, Right? The great swimmer Michael Phelps, he didn't just jump in the pool two weeks before the Olympics and go, hey, I think I could win every gold medal here this year. He had a life of dedication, of dedication, where, he, where what he ate he looked at, how he worked out, where he had trainers with him, his mind, that mental preparation, because he had a goal. He had this, this, this desire in his heart to go one day go to the Olympics. So he knew what, is, what was happening in his mind. He had a rest regime in his life that was going on. And we see people every year, this year we're blessed that we just finished the Summer Olympics and now we get the Winter Olympics. We get to see hockey even more, amen? Right? 
All of those athletes have dedicated themselves. And if they're willing to dedicate it for a gold Olympic medal, which is awesome, I think sometimes the world's confused because they look at us and say, you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, but they're willing to give everything for that. Are we willing to give everything for the Lord, that dedication, that surrendering of a life? Because they recognize that making the team is not the end. This is not the end of what we do. This, this is the beginning. Every team that I've been blessed to be on, I'm not making any teams today, but when I was younger, every team that I was on, every time you were saying, yes, coach, what can I do? The ones who didn't, didn't make it. Because just, you get on, just because you're on a team, it didn't guarantee you were starting. It didn't care, guarantee that you were getting time on the court. It didn't guarantee that your skills would improve. All those things that were happening, those things only happen as you applied yourself. You're showing up on time. You're taking care of yourself. You're running during the summer so that you can get ready. You're, you're getting the rest that you need. And even for our team, you had to have a certain academic standards. There were people that when they got on the team wanted to play basketball so bad that they started becoming good, good students all of a sudden. And their life is better, and I'm seeing them now all these years later, and they'll point back and say, that's what changed my life because, because there was a commitment, there was a dedication to it. And if sports can do that, can you imagine what would happen as we as followers of Christ, the body of Christ, would come together and say, Lord, what do you want to do? I believe in you. I will give up everything for you. Just speak. Your servant is listening. And if I can't hear, I'm going to shut everything off because I need to hear your voice today. So wherever I go, whatever I do, at work, on the way, in the store, on the transit, on the link light, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, online. How we behave online. Jesus, is this what you would want me to post? Jesus, is this how you would want me to respond? Does this glorify you in what I'm doing and what I'm saying? Every part of me. Because we need to guard our lives. We need to guard our lives. What we allow in has the opportunity to disciple us and to lead us and eventually master us. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. See, our physical life and our spiritual life are connected. Because if the body is leading us, it's pulling us right down towards death with it. What we do, what we see. That's why I've made a covenant with my eyes. There are even apps called Covenant Eyes to help us in those things. We're not trying to be better so that Jesus will love us more. He's paid that, done that. Because I love Jesus now, I want to follow him and be about what he's called me to do. How many times will he forgive us? 70 times 7, which means he'll always forgive us when we return to him. But he's saying, what kind of life do you want? What kind of life? The abundant life. Amen, Mark. That's, that's the life that we're called to. See, we become one with whatever we allow ourselves to connect with. So as we wrap this up this morning, you know, as we live these lives of being surrendered to God, as, we, as we're transformed by him, as we pursue and we receive this holiness from God, as we surrender to him, our lives will be marked with this peace, but peace is powerful because peace comes with a responsibility. <laughs> everything that God gives us, remember the parable of the talents, those of you who've read scripture, there's a responsibility for every gift that he's given us. And see, peace doesn't hide us from conflict, Peace enables us to resolve it. Peace enables us to resolve it. See, Jesus, he gave his disciples peace not to help them keep hiding. He didn't find them hiding and say, I'm going to give you peace so that you can feel good about where you are. 
He gave them peace so that they would engage. He said, peace be with you. John 20, he said, as the Father has sent me now, I'm sending you. I'm giving you peace. Now get out of here. Get out of this room and get on business with what's going on. Get on business with what's going on. That's what peace does in our life. Peace is not the end of the mission. Our goal in life is not just to get to this peaceful trance. There are religions that do that. It's all about just obtaining optimal peace. No, when we follow Christ and we surrender, there's a peace that he gives us so that we can engage. You know? Spiritually, you never retire. You may change jobs. You may change how you function in things, but as a follower of Christ... We talked about that last week. The power of people that they may have retired from their job, but the Lord is still using them. The Lord is still using them and moving in their life. We talked about so many wonderful and great examples of that. Peace comes with this responsibility. You know, peace is is that fruit of the Spirit, is that how we act in every part of our lives. You know, Jesus even gave us a practicality of what that looks like for us. He got real deliberate. He said, are there conflicts with you? Are there challenges? Are there struggles going on? You know, in Matthew 18, he, 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 he laid it out. And that scripture's in your Bible app, or it's, it's also in the Bible. It's Matthew 18. But step one, if you have an odd against a brother or sister, you know what Jesus said to do first? Go to them yeah. D- directly. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 for the Monopoly fans. Go right to them. Do not talk about it on Facebook. Don't say, I'm getting ready to go talk to this person now. Please pray for me, you know. And he's, because here's, here's a key principle in conflict. You keep the circle small. The smaller that you keep the circle the easier it will be. The bigger you get the circle, that's when tribalism is going to come in. And we're just attacking one another. Jesus said, no, go right to them. And Jesus even said, he said, and if they listen, you've made a friend. How many of you have ever made a friend by doing that? Going straight to them, and now they're a close brother, they're a close sister in the Lord. And then he says, if this doesn't work, if step one doesn't work, then go to step two. And step two is take one or two along with you. Now, this isn't you getting your posse together and go, we're going to get in and we're going to convince them and we're going to get them. No, these are men and women filled with the power of God that are unbiased, that are willing to walk through a situation where it's not about you winning and you losing. It's about coming together and doing this. That's what Jesus did. That's why I think the disciples were often so confused. Jesus, I thought you were on our side. He's like, I'm out for everybody, and we're going to conflict it. And if you're wrong, you need to apologize. And if you're wrong, you need to apologize. And if you're both wrong, because it's reconciliation. We are souls that we follow Christ. We are souls that are going to live together for eternity. So if you went to them directly, that didn't work out, then get a couple other people and go to them. Because see, the goal is not winning. The goal is having the mind of Christ. Can you imagine if the world around us saw followers of Christ acting and behaving. You want to talk about something that's contagious, something that we hunger for? Everyone's in conflict, and everyone's struggling. Everyone's lost friends. Everyone's lost families. We've lost so much. It's heartbreaking. And then he says, Jesus said, and step three, if those things didn't work, he said, take it to the church. Take it to the body of Christ. It rarely gets to this level, but I've been a part of communities where it's gotten to that level. 
There are times when it's necessary. And, and even as a church, Shoreline Community Church, we have a process for this. And as a board, we've had to walk through it. It's actually, it's in our constitution and bylaws, how we work things out, how we resolve difficulty. And there's times that we've had to do that. It's rare. Because why? What's our heart? Reconciliation, the mind of Christ. Walking through conflict so that we can be guarded with peace. And I can tell you, there's times I've walked away when it's gone the way I hoped. There's times I've walked away when it hasn't gone the way I hoped. But when I've walked in this way, the presence of the Lord has come in and guarded my heart with peace. Because here's what happens. There's times that you're going to walk through things and it's not going to resolve. And if you're like me, that means you don't sleep well at night and you eat a big bag of chips. <laughs> because you're just so, you know. And then you tell Jesus you're sorry and he comes in and does a work in your life. But there's, th- there's times that there's things that in our family, we're, we, we, we walk this out and it's not there. Because it, it takes both sides to agree to this. But as far as it depends on you, this is how we walk. It's that reconciliation path. And I've also seen times when it's gone like this and it's separated. And then years down the road, I've gone through a journey. They've gone through a journey. And it's come back to this. And it's beautiful. And it's sweet. And it's always been, why did we let that happen? Why did that happen? As we wrap this up this morning, the team's going to lead us in a song, but I'd like for you just to close your eyes and without saying anything, just say to yourself and ask yourself or just recognize, maybe you know already, but ask yourself, where is my level of peace? <laughs> if, if peace was a gauge on my dashboard today, where is my peace? Am I empty today? Am I halfway? I got half a tank left? Or am I full? Where is that? And as you recognize that, again, the opposite of peace is fear. Just allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, or the Holy Spirit may have done that already. What fears are you facing today? What are the fears that are taking your peace? What, what are you afraid of losing? A lot of time, fear is realized in what you're losing. What's that loss? What's that thing that you're afraid of losing? Is it relationship? Is it income? Is it influence? Is it just being a part of a group of people <laughs> because you, you want relationships so bad? You know, what, are you, what do you fear today? And of course, the path to peace is holiness, so what's the Holy Spirit resonating in you as it thinks about holiness? Are there places where your life are out of alignment with God and it keeps rubbing? Just you and the Lord now. Just You may need to, need to pray the prayer of David, Lord, reveal to me my unknown sin. Those places I missed the mark and I'm not even aware of it. Do your work in me, Lord. Hmm. And then, Lord, we know faith without works is dead, so what steps do I need to take and you may know those, you may see those, or you may, you may need to talk to someone you care about, your group leader, your, a pastor, somebody, and say, you know what, this, this is what's going on. 
I need help taking that next step. I don't know what to do. Amen? We love you, Lord. You are, I love that name of you are the Prince of Peace. The Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Lord, we recognize that uh, that's the area the enemy tries to rob and steal and destroy and take away our peace. He knows if we can take away our peace, he can distract us from you. But you are with us in the middle of the storm. So Lord, as we walk, may we recognize just like the disciples that were, they were scared in the boat and they looked to you. <laughs> and you said, peace be still. Lord, help us to look to you, but also help us to be responsive to your words as you look back and say, there's fear that is revealing a lack of alignment. That lack of alignment left unchecked is going to destroy you. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. Align our lives with you so that we can do that John 10, 10 life to the full more abundantly. But it's, it's a reflection of the alignment. Lord, thank you. Help us as a community to, that we wouldn't run from conflict, but we would be aligned with you as agents of peace, grace, and truth to each other and to the community that we're in. And we give you thanks. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Walk in peace with the Lord, amen. Let me encourage you just to take this. This is a lifetime process, you know. There's times I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to surrender. And there's times I'm like, can I go talk to somebody first? <laughs> Let me encourage you to embrace that. God is not put off by your doubt. He's, he's just saying, bring it here. He's not put off by your fear. And when we get up a lot, he's saying, bring it to me. And there's, that's why we have groups. That's why we have so many groups in so many areas, because we need to get together. Talk to your group about it. Talk to people about it that you trust and say, man, can you help me? I want to grow in the Lord. God's calling me to this thing, and it's scaring me, but I want to do it. Have you ever had that? You're like, I'm scared. I want to do it at the same time, right? That's how I feel every time I go cliff jumping into the, into the, the streams with my kids. I'm like, I'm scared, but I want to do it. I don't want to be a coward. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.